Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook and on our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website, don't forget you can hit that Google review button and give us a nice review. That would be most welcome. And you can leave your comments in the comments section if you're watching us on social media. Just do it below where you're watching us. And if you'd like to email, the address is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. We're also live as a podcast every Monday, so if you fancy getting us as a podcast rather than a video pod, then uh, all you need to do is to go on one of those uh, sites that you see on the side of the screen there, and you can get Property Matters TV from there as well. And we're also live on Dilsey Radio as well um, every Monday. So looking forward to meeting our Dilsey listeners on there and also our viewers today, of course, and uh, with our property expert, it's Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Hi, Paul. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Good, good morning to those listening and, of course, viewing. Um, and uh, always uh, good to have you join us. And what a week it's been. Um, finally, after four years, Mr Gove gets his renter's reform bill into Parliament, but it's a bit short on detail, it has to be said. The government has introduced its much-anticipated renter's reform bill this week to Parliament, which includes plans to abolish, as we well know, Section 21 eviction notices and improve powers to evict antisocial tenants. According to the Department for Leveling Up, the reforms will benefit around 11 million tenants and protect around 2 million landlords. The bill will abolish Section 21 notices, which was a 2019 manifesto commitment, and will help renters challenge poor landlords. They'll also be able to, the landlords, recover properties more easily, it says, so they can sell or move in a close family member, or if tenants do not pay the rent, notice periods will be cut where tenants are irresponsible and breach the tenancy agreement or damage the property. Landlords will have more power to evict antisocial tenants as the list of disruptive, harmful activities will be widened. Uh, it will also include plans to reform the courts process so that eviction, um, evictions reaching the courts, uh, more of the process will be digitised and therefore cutting delays. And there'll be a new ombudsman as well to provide quicker and cheaper resolutions to disputes with a digital po property portfolio to help landlords understand their obligations and help tenants to make better decisions when signing a new tenancy agreement. So all of that we kind of knew was happening or was rumoured to be happening. But there isn't a lot of detail there today, uh, Joe, uh, not least about how the courts will be reformed and how we will have this smooth, quick process for any litigation required. Yes, <clears throat> interesting, Mr Gove uh, is obviously on a, a course for collision uh, with this uh, this whole renter's reform. Um, and the, the lack of details is clear, Paul, but uh, what you have to bear in mind is that Whilst it's going to benefit 11 million renters, it is actually only benefiting 2 million um, private uh, landlords. Now, the question really is that th these reforms that are coming in and these suggestions are, are actually only adding to the number of landlords that are fleeing from the private rental sector because there's just so much red tape now that is involved, so many taxations and so many reasons why they don't particularly want to be in there. And whilst Mr. Gove and his uh, reform suggests that it makes things easy, it actually doesn't really make it easy because what they have to now do going forward is have a documentation almost pretty much every step of the way, every discussion, every email and so forth before they can actually take uh, action to evict someone. And if there isn't sufficient evidence that um, the appropriate um, documentations have uh, been put together, 
then it gets thrown out of court and it starts again until they do. And so I'm not quite sure how it's going to make it any easier away from the Section 21 notice that is already in existence. I've always been a firm believer that the Section 21 notice should have a Section 21A as opposed to just some of this. So some of these things that are being talked about can be amended and added, but fundamentally the Section 21 has been quite successful and safe for as long as it has existed. Um, when you start to sort of widen the scope um, in, in the type of things and the reasons why people feel that they can or they can't be evicted from a property, um, and the reason for the court situation is that the courts get bogged down. So they're thinking that if everything is documented online, you should be able to find a resolution through an ombudsman, another body that they'll create, someone else that they'll pay to, to, to sit there and, and the police theoretically removing it from the court system into the ombudsman system so that someone else can actually make a decision in why somebody should stay or somebody should go. But <clears throat> from a landlord's point of view, this is going to be very tedious and long-winded. If you're not uh, someone that is... Um, computer savvy or doesn't have the administration skills that may require, you need to find someone, you're gonna to have to pay someone to make sure that every report is written, every email is documented, every conversation is, is, is listed, so that when you do go and uh, apply to the ombudsman or, or a court of some sort, um, you can have, um, there's, there's a better chance, but if you don't do any of that, you'll simply get thrown out. Yes, it's uh, it's it's an interesting situation, is it? Because it, they haven't really given us a great deal of uh, a, a further detail from what they gave us back in 2019. Yes, they were going to take out Section 29 to 21 rather to to get rid of those uh, rogue or to to stop the power of those rogue landlords, the few that spoilt it for the many, I guess. Um, and and secondly, yes, they wanted to say that you know you, you would uh, not be able to refuse pets and you wouldn't be able to refuse people on benefits, that kind of thing. So all of those things were stated before but there just doesn't seem to be any more detail about how that ombudsman system is going to work when it's going to come in how much money is going to be put in towards it I mean it just seems to be the same thing that they put out in 2019 and I just wonder Joe whether this is desperation panic to get all of the things that they promised when they came to power in and also try and get popular things through quickly so that they might have a better chance at the next election. It all seems to be rather rushed at the end of the parliament. But isn't that the case in most cases? They're you know, running, out of, running out of rope, running out of road and running out of time. Uh, the elections are due sometime in 24. Um, and of course, they want to try and, you know, sort of put their manifesto up and say, look, we, we promised this and we've done that. But I think it's a half-cooked idea, half-baked uh, at this moment in time. And obviously wishing and hoping and praying that it gets chucked out, it doesn't get accepted uh, because it hasn't got all the um, detail that is required. It's very woolly um, in its current state. As you rightly say, it was the same as when they set it out at the beginning. But <laughs> I'm a firm believer that you know we're, we're changing things for the sake of changing them um, when something isn't actually really broke. Yes, there are some areas that could do with some tweaking, and I think that that could be done by some sort of amendment to what is existing as 21 and make it 21A, especially with anti-behavior and anti-social behavior and things like that. But majority of the cases, 
most people are okay. I mean, he goes on about, you know, how many people live in damp and, and, and uh, poor quality homes. In percentage, those are probably out of 100, maybe two or three percent. It's not, it's not a huge hammer, but it's, it's a, it, I feel it's a bit of a sledgehammer uh, to crack a nut situation that's going on. Yes, and I'm sure that's very regionalised to certain city centres, isn't it, as well, let alone um, um, across the whole country is 2 or 3%. But um, uh, that, that old adage, I mean, I think actually what uh, people are um, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't disagree with is the decent home standard, you know, making sure that there's a, there's, a, there's a right to expect a reasonable standard of the rented property. I think no one would dispute that. But what about the thing that you used to see in the adverts? Do you remember back in the days of the newspapers when flats were advertised, no children or pets? Now you can't refuse them, it seems. Yeah, I think uh, the reason why the no children or pet situation existed is, is about consideration for neighbours, especially in blocks of flats. You can have a dog yapping away, uh, you know, unnecessarily, and it can be quite annoying if you're living in a modern block, which is, you know, not particularly soundproof very well. And equally, uh, the same with children. And of course, everybody wants, you know, to have a family and have the pets. It's just a case of where it can be. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that that is now not going to be uh, considered as not allowed, um, as as many other things, and especially with them. Uh, people with you know benefits and so forth are also equally in the same way because that was another sort of thing where we don't want anybody who's on benefits um, coming in primarily and that wasn't because of the persons that, um, that were taking the rentals on that ball it was more about the system the system was designed back in the days the system was very good and very clear and people were happy with that and that was if somebody was on a uh, supportive benefit of some sort the government or the local authority will pay that directly to the landlord what happened was in the wisdom of the government, somewhere along the line, they thought, you know what, we should give this money to the tenant so that they can learn how to manage their money. Um, so the government would pay the tenant. The tenant will manage their money extremely well on smoke, cigarettes, booze, um, and other um, sundry items that may not actually result in food on the table but other, other, other things would happen. And of course, they never had the money to pay the rent. Um, then you got to a stage where for three months they didn't pay, the landlord ends up taking them to court and so forth. And, and so they really never learned how to manage their money. They, they managed their other things. And that's when people started to say, you know what, we just don't want people with benefits on it because we don't get the money directly and we end up going to court and spending time. So there is, both sides of the story here and i think that mr gove is only listening to one side of the story and i'll say it again it's probably because he hasn't been a landlord himself and doesn't experience that situation but once you're a landlord you will see how many things that you've got to deal with um and it's actually sometimes not as fun as you think it, you'd like it to be they say that the new property portal and the ombudsman will make it more difficult for criminal landlords to operate. And you can understand that, obviously, it's a kind of registration scheme by the back door, because if you want to be part of the property portal uh, and the ombudsman scheme, then they're going to have to know who you are and you're going to have to declare yourself as a landlord or the property as, as a rented property. But I suspect that the, the criminal fraternity will still find a way around the system even then, won't they? Well, you know what they say, where there's a will, there's a way. Somebody will find that scenario. But the government wants to have data of all the people that do have property so that they can actually implement their taxation and, and uh, other, other aspects of, of the business. 
but I'm not, you know, as I said, I think it's a bit of a sledgehammer to, to crack a nut um, and they're just using, again, the property. I mean, look, the private renting sector has had nothing but a bit of a bloodbath over the last 12 months, maybe even longer, with interest rates rising for buy to lets, buy to lets becoming difficult. And if the introduction of this, this situation comes in, this will only deter more people wanting to let. What the government has not taken on board is that it's the private rental sector that has been providing their housing needs, which they cannot provide themselves. And they're now trying to shoot you know, the messengers. They're shooting the people who actually are prepared to do that. And subsequently, those people will become homeless and the government will have to find another solution. Of course, you know that bought a barge in recently um, to house um, uh, asylum seekers because they can't actually house them anywhere on the land. So they've been bringing in massive barges so that they could put them in those. I mean, that's the type of government schemes that come in or go and send them to Rwanda or anywhere else when they can actually deal with it in, in local, but actually deterring private landlords from actually joining the, uh, the rental market is their own um, doing, I'm afraid. Well, this is something that Sakir Starmer uh, picked up on in his speech when he was talking about this on Wednesday of last week. Uh, he said uh, that he wanted to back the builders, not the blockers. So he, he was basically saying, yes, we do need to have local targets for local housing. And he said that he was also going to allow local decision making on building on green belt where it wouldn't affect the local beauty. And he gave an example of a car park that was in Essex, I believe, and uh, actually it had been categorised as um, uh, greenbelt land because it was attached to a field, but actually could have been uh, unattached from the field and could have been built on the car park. So he gave examples like that where there's an anomaly and they could perhaps use that land um, more effectively. So so he's going along with the uh, back the builders and not the blockers and clearly sees a weakness in the, the Tory story. Yeah, I think that's right. And you're a poet and you didn't know it. It's all coming out now. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I'm not often in agreement with, with uh, Sakir Steimer, but the point is that, uh, you know, the builders are being deterred. The building is being deterred. Greenbelt, I accept some of the policies there in, in the sense that it is... Um, Things like that that keeps the country um, the way it is, it, based on supply and demand and the green and, and all that sort of stuff. But yes, there are many other areas, many other pieces of land that either the government hold or people hold and they don't do with it. I'm sure that if they actually start to um, target the lands and the pieces of, of property where you know people have had planning or, or could get planning or just sitting there waiting, they could target them and say, look, we can probably look for CP compulsory purchase order on that and, and build a housing if you actually don't do something about it. The problem with planning is that people want to get the maximum planning, but it's the councils that actually deter them from having it. So, you know, there's just no win-win at all on this. Um, the land is here, they're doing nothing. The developer, developer wants the planning, the planners don't want to give the planning. And so subsequently, um, it just sits there doing nothing. But it, there could be a situation where they could put a time frame on it and say, you know, um, both parties, not just one, both parties, the government could put a time frame and equally the owner could put a time frame on the government and say, if you don't actually come back to us with a decent proposal, 
<laughs> then you're the one that's actually stopping us building the required housing that you you all want. Seems he's taking a similar tact to the way that the Tories did at the beginning of the um, the pandemic, where he's talking about building more of everything, not just properties to live in, not just uh, residential, but building more wind farms, factories, and much more. So he clearly wants to get the the builders back to work. Well, Keir Starmer is just just using you know the old Tory tactic, which is when things go wrong, build, build, build. But I think they build enough, but what, what they've also forgotten is how much money they've spent in, in the process of the pandemic. And, and so someone's got to pay for it. And, uh, and now we're paying for it. All of us are paying for it. But, you know, you could twist it. At the end of the day, there's only so much money in the purse. It just depends who's going to get some. It's about sitting there and going, well, actually, this person can have some more, but that one can't because we don't need that as much. Um, so whether it's the Reds or the Blues, they're only going to proportion it depending on what, where their priorities lie. But in terms of, you know, the renters reform and so forth, I just think it's another nail in the coffin for the private rental sector. I can see one situation, Joe, where uh, this could be a problem, this uh, Section 21. So, for example, look at all the landlords that are selling up at the moment. We, we, we found over 30% last uh, week <coughs> are actually uh, leaving the um, private rented sector and taking properties out of the rental market, selling the properties. Now, under this Section 21 ab abolition, it looks like you wouldn't <coughs> be able to do that because you can only sell, you can only get rid of the property uh, if the tenant is either misbehaving or they're behind with the rent. So there's no way, as I can see, for it to uh, to stop, um, for you to get a tenant out because you just want to stop renting. Yes, and that's why I said to you that earlier on, it's got to be documented. <coughs> Sorry, I've got a bit of a cough. Each, each person that you have a problem with, you're going to have to document all of this a certain why. You know, why does this want to leave, what your conversation was, what the reasons are and so forth until you get to a certain point where you start to say well actually you know yes this is this is a problem in case the landlord definitely needs his property back and the, the tenant's got to go but that can be so long-winded that um you know it, it becomes costly and laborious um in the in the long term and makes it difficult for the tenant to move out sorry the landlord to get his property back and the tenant to to move out Whereas under Section 21, as it is, it's a fair and square, you know, if things don't work out or you want the property back for yourself, you know, the landlord has to give two months notice and the tenant has to give a month's notice. And off you go and, you know, move on in your life. But this, I think, is just, it's just a promise that they said they would do, so they're trying to do it. But I, I'm not sure that it's done with the, with the right intentions. OK, well, um, I'll do a bit of talking now and I'll mute your microphone so that you can go and do um, a little bit of coughing. Is that all right? Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm, 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 gonna I'm, I'm drinking water as long, so you don't need to mute. You can carry on. All right, OK. Well, the our second story is uh, the Resolution Foundation that's warned that even though the Bank of England is near the end of the rate-rising cycle, the majority of the impact on borrowers is still to come. Think Tank says that the Bank of England looks set to have almost finished the sharpest uh, interest rate tightening cycle since the 1980s. Latest rise, of course, was last week when the rate went up to 4.5%. But the foundation warns that the switch from variable to longer fixed rate mortgages has delayed the impact on households. It's a very interesting point, which I don't think we've really discussed, Joe. It, it says two-thirds of the eventual $12 billion increase in annual mortgage costs is still to be passed on. 
So the growing popularity of fixed rate mortgage deals, which have gone from accounting for just over four in every £10 lent pre-financial crisis to more than £9 in every 10 lent last year, means that the majority of the impact on mortgage borrowers is still to come. These households will see their mortgage costs rise when their fixed rate expires and they look for a new deal. That's horrendous. Nine in £10 hasn't been passed on of this rate rise. So in actual fact, <laughs> in trying to control um, uh, inflation by putting interest rates up, the Bank of England has really not done that, or at least not done it until all of these longer deals that we now have on fixed rate have gone. So we've got £12 billion still to hit. So potentially the the prospect of people handing the keys back and uh, trying to sell their property because they can't afford it <coughs> is a long way away. Yes, it is. I mean, the fixed rates that were there are going to come to an end very soon, uh, and they've not obviously allowed for um, that in their calculations um, in terms of the um, uh, inflation rate that they're trying to bring down. Um, I'm not quite sure that this cycle has come to an end either, though they think it's nearing an end. I think you'll find that there's still another half a point um, left in this cycle before they actually start to, to settle down. And, and maybe that will be the one which will include all of these other uh, 12 billion people, 12 million people that have still got um, uh, mortgages uh, to, to come to a rise. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it was a long, long time for the rates to be as low as it was. There's no question about that. Um, they had the opportunity to whack them up. They've done that. I think the problem we have to a large extent is that it was done in conjunction with huge uh, utility rises as well and now if they had phased the two out it may have we may have stood a chance but uh, the problem is they brought it all in at the same time so your gas and electric and your rates and, and fruit and veg and everything else that was going to be is all started to come up at a, at a cost including the mortgage rate so um yeah it's not 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 good news as far as i'm concerned at the moment for the property side because borrowing has become extremely expensive having spoken to some lenders recently just to see where they are you know first of all they're not lending as much as they'd like to and secondly the lending criteria that they are now doing are so um, intense and so um, you know scrutinizing that not everybody is winning through the affordability sector to get a mortgage so the rental market is the only rental, the only property area that people can find a roof at. And guess what? The government's doing a damn good grand, grand job in mucking up those private landlords who are, you know, leaving in, in hordes out of that because of the taxation, because of the cost of borrowing, and of course, other things like the EPCs and so forth that are all coming. And then and, and the renters' reform will probably not help. Of course, everybody took a fixed rate at the end of last year because they thought in a couple of years' time, probably mortgage rates will be back down again to something like what they used to be. But I think it's now generally accepted that that's not going to happen. In fact, they're saying in this particular piece of research that the mortgage rate will remain above 4% until the end of 2026. 
now. And as a result of that, um, uh, of, of households have faced so far just a third of that eventual 12 billion rise. So uh, between quarter one 2023 and quarter four 2024, total repayments are set to rise by 5.3 billion as 1.6 million households see their fixed rate uh, deals expire uh, and face an average increase in their annual mortgage bill of around £2,300 a year. So that's going to be pretty tough. And furthermore on that, repayments for the 18 to 34-year-olds, so those first-time buyers who are on traditionally lower incomes, that increase is 3.4% of their income. But of course, for older, more wealthy mortgagers aged 55 and over, it's just 1.8% increase in their uh, out of their um, out of their their income, so it's going to be particularly punitive on those first time buyers. And any time when those deals uh, fall now between an e the end of next year and the end of twenty twenty five, they're still going to be remortgaging over four percent. Yeah, I, I mean, I I once they get to their 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 line, which I believe is going to be probably around five percent, the chances of us seeing a rate decrease from that is pretty low, in my opinion. Um, it will stay there maybe to 2026. And if I'm still around and we're still doing this and so forth, I'll be the first to say, you know, we, we discussed it then and look at 2026, we're still at 5%. Um, because, you know, it's, it, once it's up, the chances of them actually wanting to bring it down is very slim. But of course, it's good for the for the savers at the moment. Savers are getting the best results um, that they've had in the last God knows how many years. When they were at 0.1 or 0.25%, now they're at 4% and now 4.5% and so forth. It's getting a good return on their um, of their savings. So that's probably a big plus for the savers, but not good for the borrowers at all. And the borrowers that are borrowing on buy-to-let or on commercial are all borrowing at much, much higher rates than, than one can anticipate. I spoke to a colleague at Barclays Bank this week and, and he just said that they, they're now at 7.5% um before they even start talking you know money so it's four and a half percent base plus another two percent on top uh sorry three percent on top or two percent six and a half or seven and a half percent is what they're looking to lend out so you know um imagine going to a bridger you are now at 12 percent uh one percent a month where it could have been down to you know 0.75 etc is now literally 1% and maybe in some cases 1.5% a month. So if you're borrowing 100,000 pounds, you're paying 10 and a half grand a month back. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I can see now why the lenders are being so um, uh, difficult in the stress testing because, you know, clearly if you're gonna be coming down off of a, uh, um, a, a low start sort of fixed rate period, and then you're gonna be coming in at uh, north of 4%, then uh, it's going to have to be, and, and, and the suggestion is on average, that's going to be 2,300 a year more. You've kind of got to be able to prove that you can you can pay the future rates. It's really a challenge. I mean, when I listen to some of the guys coming to look at renting properties or, or buying, I mean, as much as their affordability, and it's, it, I mean, today I was out, um, sorry, uh, during the week I was out looking at um, a potential tenant who wanted sort of just a small one bedroom flat. And, you know, even though the rent might be about 1,000, 1,200 quid, they were looking at another five to 600 pounds on top for, so we're talking about nearly 2,000 pounds a month uh, for, for a couple. So if they're earning 25,000 each, 
you know, one person's salary is just going to give payment towards putting a roof over their head. So it's, it's, uh, it's a tough game. Final story of the week, uh, one which actually had on the back boiler, we just haven't had time to cover it really, was about uh, commercial property. Occasionally we talk about commercial property and we have been talking about the government uh, setting um, uh, targets for rental properties to reach uh, EPC uh, level C so that we can get to some kind of net zero by 2050, <coughs> I think that the, the target is. But now they're doing the same thing uh, for commercial property. I thought it was worth just quickly covering this off. Government legislation that came into effect on the 1st of April this year could leave England's commercial property sector facing a risk of £1.4 in annual rent, according to new research. Commercial buildings that do not have an energy performance certificate of E or above are no longer able to be traded um, or leased under the new legislation as the regulations are set to evolve over time with the minimum EPC rating rising to C in 2027 and B in 2030, even higher than the residentials, interestingly. The level of regional rent at risk could increase to 3 billion and 4.8 billion respectively as the legislation title, um, uh, tightens. What's really interesting here, Joe, is you think about all of the landlords struggling to rent properties in the high street, for example, and, uh, you know, that's just going to be another nail in the high street's coffin, not least. Yes, in the commercial sector, I think the biggest um, uh, culprits are probably what we call the sheds, you know, the warehouses and so forth. And they're very hard to um, control on their EPCs because basically they are still framed, corrugated or some sort of, you know, it's not going to be insulated or dealt with for EPCs targets. But yes. Um, what the government is saying, um, that everything, and this is all about zero carbon ultimately, that's what their target is, which is a big challenge. But, you know, if it means that they are going to bring these people into line with the commercial um, up to C in 2025, at the moment it's E uh, minimum, um, but, you know, it's, it's going to be leaving a lot of properties empty, commercial properties empty, not just industrial, but like you say, in the high street as well. Hopefully the high street won't be as affected as much because they can be insulated by the fact that they are neighbour and attached properties to other, other high street shops. But when you imagine that you've got a standalone unit in the middle of an industrial estate um, and, and sort of no one to cuddle, cuddle to, uh, <laughs> you know, your EPC is going to be way up there and, and trying to get that done um, is, is going to be a challenge. So, yes, the sheds are probably going to be the biggest uh, losers out of this. Uh, the shops will be, um, but I think it's just a case of, you know, you have to plan. Um, and if, in commercial, they've got to start to plan now. because First of all, it's coming to law. And secondly, you know, 2027 20, is actually not that far away under the circumstances. Yeah, analysis from EG, the provider of data, news and analytics for the commercial real estate sector, said that London's commercial real estate market will be hardest hit. 24.1 million square feet will fail to meet the regulations. And across the UK, that number rises to 95.6 million square feet. That's a lot of boarded up commercial property to look forward to, Joe. Yeah, hopefully they won't get to that point. But yes, when you put it like that, it seems like a hell of a lot of boarding. But somebody will win and all the boarding companies will win because they've got to board them up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and hopefully they are EPCC compliant because otherwise they won't be able to operate either. Uh, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one for the books at the moment. But uh, commercially, just like uh, in the residential side, 
the government's having a good go in trying to get us to net zero in carbon. And I guess that's, you know, laudable to, to try and achieve that. It's a question of how you go about it, I guess. So we'll keep, keep our eye on all of the stories that we've spoken about today, not least, of course, the renters reform bill. And we'll be back same time next week with another Property Matters. Music.